0: Hello and welcome to the Dr. Brian Donner Show. I have a very special guest today, Ambassador Daniel Mulhall. Ambassador Mulhall is actually the ambassador from Ireland to the United States, and that's amazing enough but he's also an excellent writer and he is very proud of the literature that comes from Ireland as well as from around the world. And this year, it's the 100th anniversary of James Joyce writing a a classic novel, uh, one that probably has been discussed and kind of (laughs) criticized, understood, misunderstood for years. And what he's really doing in his book Ulysses, A Reader's Odyssey, is actually looking at it through his eyes and trying to, I think, simplify it and and make it so relevant because there's so much in there. I mean, it's been studied for 100 years. So first of all, Ambassador, thank you for taking the time to
1: join us. You're very, very welcome. Um, I, I'm actually visiting family at the moment in Edinburgh where my daughter and grandchildren live. So I postponed my visit here um, from Christmas because of the Omicron surge, so I'm uh, I'm, I'm here now and traveling back to the uh, to Washington DC again on Sunday. But uh, basically, just spending uh, the week, um, both launching my book, uh, but also um, it was launched virtually because of the circumstances in which we're in at the moment. But also just just um, you know seeing family and for the first time in in uh, you know eight months, I haven't seen my grandchildren since then. So it's great to be able to uh, to celebrate a book being published and also to see the grandchildren. I, I
0: guess that has to be so exciting one of the frustrating things and we've talked a lot about uh, the yeah. pandemic is being separated from your family it had to be really
1: yeah. tough no that's right i mean um, from march of 2020 until july of 21 i didn't see any member of my family my wife and i were hunkered down uh, in washington uh, Unwilling to to make the journey across the Atlantic for fear of you know um, picking up something and also bringing the virus to our family, which we didn't want to do either. So uh, it was a sad time, really. I mean, we had to manage with Zooms and uh, and uh, Facebook uh, FaceTime calls and so on. We, we you know we I mean, we uh, we endured it. We you know we managed, and that's that's one of the things that actually I I think we should draw from this um, experience the last two years. That people have great endurance. You know that that we. I mean, I I remember thinking at the beginning how is this going to work how are we going to be able to do this but actually nobody thought it would be two years and yet somehow you know most people have managed to uh to fight their way through it and have managed to you know remain on an even keel and that's um that's no small thing and i'm i'm delighted to say that you know we've managed to navigate the shoals of this uh virus um you know pretty well i mean our 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 Daughter and her family have had it, but but they got over it pretty pretty quickly, and, right. and uh, we haven't had it happily. Yet. You know, fingers crossed. Hope we we can um, you know manage to escape it as well. But uh, you know uh, it's been a tough time for everyone. But at the same time, you you know you have to hand it to human ingenuity and human endurance that we've been able to to cope with these uh, unprecedented circumstances that none of us thought we'd ever have to endure.
0: And I've been following Ireland quite closely. The vaccination rate the support. It's been incredible in the country as far as uh, people getting together. It shows a lot, I think, about the unification of the people and and trying to help each other. I think that's important. We we do have
1: social cohesion in Ireland, I think, to a very impressive degree. And people have have been willing to abide by government uh, recommendations. Public health authorities have been generally respected. We've had a small kind of resistance element, but it's been very small and very marginal. And... uh, you know, we don't. We have some people who are anti-vaccination, but they're again small and peripheral. And uh, the vaccination rates, as you say, have been off the scale. Um, you know, among the highest in the world, and and that of course is now reflected in the fact that our death rate overall uh, in Ireland has been one of the lowest uh, in the the world. Um, of course, we you know we have lost six thousand people, um, which for a country of of uh, five million is no small thing. But nonetheless, on a per capita basis, uh, we've done pretty well in coping with this uh, terrible pandemic.
0: Well, it certainly follows a predictable path. And and I think, you know, that has to be plotted. I'd want to talk about your book, but also yeah. um, a lot of people I'm sure are interested, you know, 40 years of being an ambassador and you've been an ambassador all over the world, including the UK, Malaysia, other places. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned about people. I am curious about that because you bring that into your writing, you, you have a really good understanding of the way people approach things. And I think that kind of gives you a greater vision of what Joyce was trying to achieve. Tell me about a little bit of what you've learned and how your, your career has helped you that way. Well, I
1: mean the first thing I've learned is that no country and no part of the world has a monopoly on wisdom. So I think as a diplomat, you have to be completely open-minded and open-hearted because you've got to come to a country like the United States or Britain before or Germany with an open mind, not believing that you know everything and you know the whole story. You don't. No one knows the whole story. We have to put the whole story together bit by bit, piece by piece, over time. And so I have learned that every country has its foibles, has its strengths, has its downsides, has its upsides, has its quirks, has its fascination. So what I've learned from 43 years now of representing Ireland around the world and working also in our foreign ministry in Dublin, is that if you approach life with an open mind, an open heart, it's the best way to find your way through that uh, journey that we all have to undertake. So, you know, wherever I've been in the world, I've always been excited to be there. I've always been... Curious. That's the other thing that I, I I like to talk about is the the virtue of curiosity. You know, actually coming to a country with an open mind. I mean, not coming and saying, "Oh, I know all about America." And of course, for Irish people, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking, "Oh, we know America. Oh, you know, I've been there many times. I, I watch American television. I follow the NFL. I know about baseball. I know about all aspects of American culture." But of course, when you come here. You realise how little you know. I think it's important to come with a sense of humility, with a sense of being a learner rather than a teacher. And that's one of the things that uh, that um, um, James Joyce says in Ulysses in the second uh, episode of the novel. Uh, he's a he's a teacher in the school, and the principal is a rather conservative gentleman who says to um, Joyce's character, um, "Oh, you, you're not really gonna, you're going to stay here. You're not really a teacher, are you?" And he said, "No, I'm a learner." And that is what I've tried to be as well, wherever I've been. I don't believe in going around trying to teach lessons. Of course, I will tell the story of Ireland. That's part of my job. But I also have this kind of vocation to learn. And, you know, even after four plus years in America, I feel I still got a lot of learning to do. I don't think that at the end of my time in America that I will be, a, that I'll be the ultimate expert on America. There'll still be a lot of things that I'll be trying to figure out. And I hope that... But one of the good things about diplomacy is that when you leave a country, you, you, you end up having a lifelong um, absorption in the affairs of that country because you you have learned to understand them to a certain level and you, you are eager to top up your knowledge. So, you know, even though it's 40 years since I left India in the early 80s, um, I still, if I see an article in the papers about India, I will tend to read it because I have that kind of basic knowledge of India and I like to top it up and I'll be doing that with America hopefully coming back to America on a regular basis after I leave here but it's that that flexibility that open mindedness and that that vocation as a learner that's important to i think um navigate the the um you know the challenges of diplomacy because there are challenges you know leaving your home and family especially during the pandemic by the way i think all of my colleagues around the world learned how important home and family is because they were separated from their home and family for so long we all had to learn again what's really important in life and what's not. And I think um being separate from family is one of the, the major challenges. I mean, both of my parents passed away when I was away on, on foreign service. I had to come home um after they died for their funeral. So there's a lot that challenges you. There's a lot to um there's a lot that you have to sacrifice in order to represent your country abroad. But the rewards of it are great in terms of personal satisfaction. You know, I'd love to have Played sport for Ireland. or I'd love to have done other things for Ireland, but that was not my uh, lot, and therefore, being a representative of Ireland has given me a great buzz over the years. And it's a kind of it's it's a way in which you can express your patriotism in a very practical way, and that's what I've been privileged to do over the last forty years.
0: No, a lot of wisdom you've just shared in, in what you've just said, and you know it's interesting if we even compare careers you know, I see people when they're ill and their masks are off. I always say that, you know, they're the real people they are because they, they need you. And then later on, they kind of return to the people they are. Otherwise, you've seen societies and different cultures. Are we more alike than we're different or are we all very different? What's your perception of having been around the world and literally integrated yourself with countries?
1: Yeah, I mean, diplomacy is about building on our similarities. So we're we're attuned naturally as diplomats to sort of to work on the things that bind us rather than the things that divide us. We know that they're there. And sometimes those divisions get out of hand and countries have serious problems with each other. But but you know but by and large, diplomats have a vocation to to bind people together, to find ways of bridging gaps, to find ways of smoothing out the rough edges of relationships between countries. So um so I I have I certainly going back to my time in india and india was you know in those days when i went there back in the early 80s it was a very remote country for me it was a country i knew little about and yet what i discovered was uh the you know the humanity that we share uh you it comes out more clearly when you live in a country that's not familiar to you that's far away from you that is that is remote and remember like india has uh compared with ireland or the united states it's uh People are different racially. They have different religious um, uh, beliefs. They have different uh, ethnic traditions. Uh, they live in a very different uh, world, a different um, climate, different environment and so forth. And yet what comes across to me, at least, is the uh, when you get to know people properly. And one of the great joys of diplomacy is that you're not a tourist in a country. It's not like visiting India for a couple of weeks and taking a tour around the great sites of India. Of course, we did that too, but you live there. So you have casual conversations. You soak things up. Uh, you don't realize you're learning, but you are every day seeing and understanding and and grappling with the realities of a different country. And what I found certainly from from meeting uh, Indians, um, getting to know them well, going to their homes and so on, is the similarities, that the differences are, are somewhat superficial. Uh, of course, they're important and they can... can divide people in very uh, dangerous ways they can lead to conflicts but fundamentally as a diplomat i'm always drawn to the similarities between the different uh, branches of humanity fascinating
0: in case you're just joining us this is daniel mulhall he is the ambassador to the united states from ireland Uh, but in addition to that and we're going to get to it he has written a wonderful book ulysses a reader's odyssey uh, Dan was born in Waterford, Ireland. He has lived throughout the world. And um, you mentioned you spent time in Dublin. And even someone like me who casually visits Dublin, you can't go to Dublin if you know anything about James Joyce without thinking about James Joyce, Ulysses, and everything about it. And even if you go on one of those pub crawl tours or one of those artist tours, you know, you're know you taught about that. Tell me a little bit about Your passion for that book, um, clearly, uh, some have said it is the sentinel book that was written in in the entire 20th century. But tell me
1: about your passion. And and you you put a lot of work into this. Why? Yes. Well, early in my career in India, actually, I discovered that Ireland's literature was a major asset to our country because I met people in faraway India. Very different backgrounds to my own that had a knowledge and an interest in the work of the great Irish writers. And that left me with a a set of um, impressions that have carried me through my entire career. And throughout my time uh, as a diplomat, i have I have used, I hope I haven't abused, but I've certainly employed literature and history as a way of telling Ireland's story, because, you know, one of the, the, you know, the fate, the the kind of default fate of a small country like Ireland of 5 million people is to be overlooked, to be ignored. Now, there are two reasons why that doesn't happen to Ireland. The first is all those McDonough's around the world and others from <laughs> Irish backgrounds who, in their lives and their affection for Ireland, their affiliation with Ireland, their affinity with Ireland make us a bigger country than we would otherwise be. And so next month we'll have the St. Patrick's Day Festival, which is a kind of a an extraordinary um, um, outpouring of Irish identity in the United States. And that's, that's important. That makes Ireland a bigger country. It gives us a bigger footprint in the world that we would otherwise have as a small country of 5 million people. And then the second thing is our literature and our culture. Because the fact is that we have conquer the English language. It conquered us first, by the way. Centuries ago, it was forced on Ireland by virtue of the conquest of Ireland by our nearest neighbor. But we have used that language, I think, very effectively. And we've produced, in the 20th century especially, um, a tribe of really distinguished writers. And, you know, let me give you one anecdote. Um, I was asked in 1982 to speak at the All India English Teachers Annual Conference. 1500 teachers from all over India attended that conference and I spoke at this plenary session huge gathering the largest group of people I've ever spoken to indoors in my entire career I did it as the at the age of 25 or 6 and afterwards this young woman came up to me and she was from Assam which is a state a small state in the northeastern corner of India and she told me that she was teaching James Joyce, a portrait of the artist as a young man in her school in Assam in remote northeastern India. And I thought that's astonishing. Now, she told me she had never actually seen a copy of a portrait. She was working on the basis of stencils of wow. you know photocopies or early photocopies which were available. And that's how she taught Joyce. So I immediately gave her my copy of Joyce's portrait. But that 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 memory has never left me because the very fact that our small country could produce a writer whose work would be read so far away from ireland by a people with a very different background a very different ethnicity a different racial character and so forth that to me was a game changer in my understanding of the importance of literature for ireland and i've taken that idea around the world with me and for example when i was in uh Berlin, uh, ten years ago, a little more than ten years ago, and we were in the middle of this terrible economic and financial crisis. And Ireland was was in in, in pretty bad shape at the time. And a lot of Germans, you know, thought negatively of us because they felt that we had kind of, uh, you know, um, we uh, we had let our economy, you know, go downhill, and 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 they kind of blamed us in a way for that. It was, wasn't wasn't a valid um, piece of blame attached to us, but it was the way it was. And and I remember going around um germany and giving talks about joyce and Yeats, and i would always say at the beginning of my talk now i'm going to talk about Yeats or joyce but i want to start by you've probably seen some reference to ireland in the papers uh, or on television that we're not doing so well economically that's true having a bad time i would explain this is what happens you know we've had this difficult situation our property sector you know imploded the banking system went under pressure and we ended up kind of having to go and look for help from the EU and the IMF but I would say we're going to recover because our economy is fundamentally strong and you look forward to a couple of years time we'll be back at one of the strongest economies in Europe again and that was the case by the way mm-hmm. but to be able to to reach audiences who came to hear me talk about Joyce and Yates, but then to be able to give that important political message, important for our government, for our people, for our economy, that was a huge asset to be able to do that and to to have this kind of companion message, the economic message alongside the cultural and literary message about Joyce and Yates
0: and if you follow you on twitter which i've had it's at daniel mulhall if you follow you you actually, it's at, dan mulhall, it. actually. it's at dan mulhall yep, yep it's at dan mulhall i'm so used to clicking but but you will have uh videos where you're you're reading poetry or you're yeah. talking about seamus haney or you talk about yeah. it and and you know you're so right i mean telling you you're so right you are right but you know you look at uh let's say the monks you know, during the dark ages, it, literature was kept alive in Ireland. I mean, it was Ireland that really we have most of the things from the distant past as a result of what uh, was written down and kept and treasured in Ireland. And then it goes on forward. And, you know, you get to um, Joyce and in and in the book you write, one of the things you talk about, and I think so important is I know in the United States, they talk about Faulkner, stream of consciousness and these things. Yeah. But, I mean, stream of consciousness is essentially James Joyce.
1: Yes. I mean, the great thing about Ulysses is is that um, unlike your detective novel or your crime thriller or your your action uh, novel, the action in Ulysses all takes part, all takes place inside the head of the main characters, especially the principal character, Leopold Bloom. And that was a very novel idea and i think joyce did that because one of the first things that joyce tried to do to make a living in the first decade of the 20th century was he came from italy where he'd been teaching english for a few years he came back to ireland to open a cinema and it was the first cinema ever opened in ireland now it didn't succeed because he didn't have that kind of business gene in him. He had a different gene uh, for writing and wasn't a great businessman. So the, the, you know, the project failed. Nonetheless, I think he understood that in the 20th century, where you could tell a story in images on the cinema screen, that writing, that books had to be of a different character if they were going to match the charm and the lure of the cinema. Of the moving pictures. So I think that's why that's one of the reasons why uh Joyce wrote in this revolutionary way. And remember, I always say that that um Ulysses is, is an Odyssey. First of all, it's based on Homer's Odyssey, so it's an Odyssey, but it's an Odyssey of language, of character, and an Odyssey of the ways of the world. So what I mean by that is that in ulysses joyce writes in a whole range of different styles now that that puts people off a lot of people are intimidated by the by the styles that he by the shifting of styles some of the chapters are fairly straightforward they're like climbing the foothills of a mountain but then you've got these steep climbs and in particular uh one that uh, will be of interest to you as a medical man is the uh uh, the chapter which is known as auction of the sun and uh, it's um, chapter chapter fourteen, and it is set in the National Maternity Hospital in Hollisteries in Dublin, a hospital that's still there, by the way. Um, and a, Leopold Bloom goes to the hospital, and he goes there to inquire about a friend of his who's having difficult labour, and uh, and he, he falls in with these medical students who are, of all things, believe it or not, drinking. In the hospital, in one of the rooms downstairs in the hospital, while uh, women are giving birth upstairs, and that chapter, which is very long and quite intimidating, and the reason it's intimidating is because it is—it's all about conception. It's all about conception and birth, but it's also—it's written in every style of English. In fact, it starts in Latin, and then it goes on to Anglo-Saxon English. Medieval English, sixteenth century English, seventeenth, eighteen, and it parodies almost every major writer from the Middle Ages to the early or the late nineteenth century. And so, so the the nine months um, of the development of the fetus is matched by a journey through the English language, uh, which ends in the kind of American advertising language of the early 20th century so that's not an easy read and a lot of people probably find that much too difficult and i don't blame them and i say to people in my book if you find that difficult skip on move on to the next chapter and you'll find you'll find other things in the book that are much more amenable to being understood by you know the average reader without spending a lifetime doing so 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 this whole range of different um, styles and, and it's a, kind of a it's a bit show. I mean, I, I I do criticize Joyce a little bit in my book and I think some of it is exhibitionist. Some of it is probably, I mean, even Ezra Pound, who was a great supporter of Joyce, is a great American poet, was critical of Joyce. He said, you know, you don't need to have a different style in every chapter. It's not necessary. Come on, you know, write in a normal way. But Joyce wouldn't have that. He believed that in order to capture the entirety of human life in a single day in Dublin. He had to use these different styles in order to probe different aspects of the uh, you know, the world around him at that time in the early 20th century. It's an odyssey of character because, you know, most characters in fiction, the narrator describes them and they speak. So you do get to know about them through the narrator's description of them and and you might even get a get some notion of what they're thinking. But with with Ulysses, Leopold Bloom, most of what's in the book is in his mind, is in his head. So you're getting a, a very, very detailed understanding of the mentality of this ordinary 20th century Dubliner. And then finally, the odyssey uh, through the world is that, you know, as Bloom navigates um his way around Dublin on that day in June of 1904, he engages in all sorts of things. There's there's a chapter about journalism. There's a chapter where um, politics is discussed and national identity and so on. So so all of this stuff is all in one book. And that's the remarkable thing about Ulysses. There's so much there. And even now, since I um, sent my manuscript into the publisher and, and had it published, uh, I've been reading... Ulysses again, because I'm preparing for the centenary of the publication of Ulysses on the 2nd of February, and I'm finding new things in the book that I wish I had seen or had noticed properly and had properly described when I was writing my own book. So it's a kind of a bottomless well, and you don't have to go down. You can read it at the surface, and some of it's quite funny in parts, but if, if you want to dive down uh, the depth of the the book is so great that you might spend a lifetime uh, trying to come to terms with it. That's not for everyone, but some people like that kind of um, sure. forensic activity. And I certainly have have become more um, keen on that kind of um, um, reading effort um, now in my sixties than I was uh, when I was um, when I first encountered the book in Kansas City in the summer of 1974 when I was in my um, late teens. You know, it's really interesting you mentioned that because what you
0: did was, I mean, many people, their one and only encounter with this book is they they saw it, started it, and went to, in the old days, Cliff Notes and the present day, Spark Notes and got somebody's interpretations. They get through a test or whatever. But if you read it, and it, it it's amazing the genius of the man that he can do so many things. Um, you know, you talked about him kind of showing off, you know, it's the equivalent of a basketball player in today's world, you know, going up and doing a windmill dunk, you know, against another team when they're wide out and they open it just to show off. It seemed like there is a bit of that. There's a little bit of that. I can do this. So I will, or do you think he was experimenting? Like, do you think it was an aggressive attempt at, I'm, I'm a great writer or was he
1: experimenting with things and challenging himself? No, I think he. I think he genuinely believed that he needed to extend the boundaries of writing in order to say the things he wanted to say. So, so I think, for example, um, in one of the chapters, uh, Ithaca, which is the second last chapter, actually, it's written in the form of a catechism. Now, uh, those who are who not brought up in a in a, in a Catholic environment. A catholicism is a kind of a question and answer uh, and it's in in kind of my childhood it was very much a religious thing but this is a kind of a is about a hundred pages where he asks these questions and then the answers are given and some of the answers are incredibly elaborate
0: i think we've lost dan um, at this point, hopefully, he can reconnect with us. And while we're hoping he does, and I'm sure this happens with wireless, um, a couple things: um, people who have commented about the book. Uh, Ted Smith, for instance, IrishCentral.com. He basically said Ambassador Mulholl clearly decodes all 18 episodes of the novel, providing personal and funny insights that contextualize and illuminate Joyce's text making you want to pick it up again. And I think it's interesting if you listen to him and I hope he is able to join us uh, in a few seconds. If he reconnects, if you listen to what he's saying, you can hear the passion he has for literature. But what I took out of the first part of this interview is he's also using literature to connect with people and to do his job as an ambassador. I was fascinated by that. You know, when you interview people, you don't necessarily know what's happening when that occurs. Uh, In this case, he actually has used his talent uh, clearly as a writer and, and his knowledge of uh, of literature to try to connect with people. Other praise for this book, by the way, and again, it's Ulysses, A Reader's Odyssey, February 2nd, um, 2022, it was the 100th anniversary of the writing of this book, the completion of it. Um, it actually, parts of it came out, over uh, a 10 year period and was released. And what's also very interesting about Ulysses is when it was first released, it was banned. It was banned in many countries, including the United States because there was probably somewhat timid for today's time, but for then it was uh, considered pornographic material uh, because he was exploring many things, including sexuality. And he was exploring the conflict that people have. And so he, he was not afraid to take on those subjects and he was not afraid to uh more or less explore those things and i think that's also part of what he's done uh for people who have read it um to completion and it is it is tedious um i think few have read it to the extent uh, as dan mulhall has and um, while i'm talking i'm going to see if maybe he's reconnected um I remember he is in edinburgh scotland where his family is so um he is joining us back. I can invite him back. I, 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 um, no, no problem at all. I was actually dropped. I, in fact, my, uh, I, uh, my, um, I think my power went down. So no, it's like. no problem. In fact, I was saying it, I, I, it's amazing. You know, you're in Edinburgh, Scotland, and we're still able to do these things. You know, back when I first started doing this show, we were happy just to have somebody on the telephone <laughs> and let it go. So uh, we've seen a lot over the things. I was talking while you were gone a lot about how you were using literature to kind of connect with people too. Um, what's, yes. I, I'm, I'm gonna wrap it up for you too, because I know it's a lot later in Scotland right. than it is here, but I did want to ask you, um, besides you know the 100th anniversary on February 2nd, the fact that you're clearly interested in this topic, and what else were you trying to achieve from the book? Are you trying to maybe, maybe rekindle people's interest in Ulysses? Yeah, um, actually, um
1: it's more than that. Um, I um, I've come to believe that our literature is one of the great Irish achievements of the the modern era. Um, and I was always intrigued by the fact that this book was published in Paris on the 2nd of February, 1922. About two and a half weeks after the British administration handed over Dublin Castle, the, the headquarters of, of British power in Ireland, for centuries to the new, the leaders of the new Irish state. So I've always been intrigued by the fact that this book is the same age as the state that I've represented for the past uh, 43 years. Wow! And I felt that I wanted to celebrate Joyce's achievement by reflecting on it from my own experience as a diplomat traveling the world with this book in my diplomatic satchel in my baggage because remember i bought the book in kansas city i have a lot of editions now but i bought my original one in kansas city in 1974 i was a student there for the summer and um and that book has traveled the world with me because when i left ireland in 1980 it was one of a probably a couple of boxes of books that i owned because i was in i was a young man just out of college and, and didn't have very many books now it's one of probably thousands of books that i own but i still have that book and it's traveled it is wow it has been on a journey for the last uh, 40 plus years but i was also conscious of the fact that that i wanted to celebrate the book that i carried with me for 40 years i wanted to reflect on my experience of 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 talking about Ireland through this book and other books over the last 40 years plus and I wanted to celebrate as well the establishment of the Irish state in 1922 and the fact that for me at least um, Ulysses is a great modern novel it is the quintessential modernist novel and Ireland is a modern state in that it is a state that emerged in the 20th century when most of the world states emerged from colonial domination. And we were one of the first, we probably were the first 20th century country to break away from a successful empire. And so many countries in Asia and Africa followed our example. And that has given Ireland a cachet to this day. And the fact that we're now on the Security Council of the UN, we have to be elected to that by the member states of the United Nations. And one of the great assets for us was the fact that so many countries in the world, UN members, who became independent in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, could identify with Ireland because their struggle was similar to ours. And I can remember that going back to India in the early 80s, when so many people I met then who could remember the Raj, who could remember the British Raj in India, talked to me about how Ireland had been an inspiration to their country when they sought to to emulate Ireland by becoming an independent member of the community of nations so in a sense my book is a celebration of Ulysses of my career as a diplomat of more than Mm -hmm. 40 years standing and of the state that I have represented proudly for the last 40 years so when you
0: look at someone like Yeats and the poem "A Terrible Beauty," where he's talking about yeah. the rising nineteen yeah. do you re- do you think he clearly was impacted by those times? Was Joyce impacted uh, as well by seeing everything that happened, or was he was
1: he away at the time? What what where was he? No, he well, uh, Joyce left Ireland in nineteen o four, so he left Ireland um, twelve years before the Easter Rising. So right. he wasn't in Ireland uh, at all. However. Joyce is from the generation of Irish men and women who delivered independence to Ireland. So for example, Patrick Pearce, the leader of the Easter Rising, was two years older than Joyce. Eamon de Valera, who became Ireland's prime minister for 20 plus years and our president for 14, was an exact contemporary of Joyce's. Now, not that they had much in common, necessarily but they were contemporaries Mm -hmm. and therefore joyce he took a different path his path was to go abroad remove himself from ireland but then forensically examine ireland like a pathologist (laughs) looking at ireland looking at the entrails going through the country with a fine tooth comb and revealing to us things that we otherwise wouldn't have known Joyce was essentially, he took his politics from his father. And his father was a great admirer, a devotee of the great 19th century Irish politician, Charles George Parnell. And Parnell fell from power in 1890 when he was involved in a divorce scandal, which caused him to lose his position as the leader of the Irish uh, movement, the Irish parliamentary movement uh, at Westminster, which was pushing at that time to get... Devolved, home rule for Ireland, and so that was that was the world that that Joyce's that Joyce grew up in, and in a way, interestingly, 1904 is halfway between the fall of Parnell and the Easter Rising. So, I describe 1904 when Joyce when Joyce set his his novel as a time when Ireland was on the cusp of change, and you see that political change reflected. In the novel. So you do see you get a portrait of his father's generation who were disappointed, dejected by the fact that their great hero had fallen from power. Joyce shared those views, and one of the reasons why he left Ireland was he felt that Ireland had betrayed her best and would betray him too. But then you have references in the book to Arthur Griffith, who in 1904 founded what became the Sinn Fein movement, very different from the one that exists today. But but Sinn Fein movement in 19 19- after 1916, became the the head or the titular head of the Irish independence struggle. So you do see in uh, Ulysses the kind of beginnings of a different Ireland emerging. But Joyce was really looking at the Ireland he left. And he was forensically analyzing that. But there are some hints. And of course, by the time Joyce finished his novel, Ireland had achieved its independence. And in fact, it was published um, uh, just a few weeks after the treaty between Britain and Ireland was ratified by the Irish Parliament, and therefore Ireland was set on the road to independence. But that, doesn't, that independence element uh, doesn't actually appear in Ulysses because uh, it's set in 1904. But you can see in the book that Joyce was aware of the fact that things had moved on and that Griffith, Arthur Griffith, the founder of Sinn Féin, who had been an obscure character in 1904, by 1922, he was the president of the Irish Free State. So he had become a major figure. And Joyce has a little joke in one of his chapters where his main character, Leopold Bloom, is fictional, of course. But um, he's Hungarian Jewish background. And because of that, some of the drinkers in the pub in Little Britain Street, which is the, the, where the Cyclops episode is set, they talk about Bloom. He's not there, but they talk about him, and and two of them um, discussed the fact that Bloom had given Arthur Griffith the idea for his book, The Resurrection of Hungary, which was what was the founding uh, idea for uh, Sinn Féin, that, that instead of um, looking for independence or looking for, for home rule at the Parliament in London, that we should follow the Hungarian example, and we should withdraw our people from London and set up our own parliament in Dublin and then basically force the British into giving us uh, some form of independence. So um, Joyce plays a little game by pretending uh, that his fictional character gave Arthur Griffith the ideas that actually became the um, philosophy of the Sinn Féin movement, which ultimately became the driving force behind Ireland's independence movement in the um period between nineteen seventeen and nineteen twenty
0: one. You know, it's interesting. That's why history and English are just inextricably connected. You know, how yeah. they were but I do want to thank you. Uh by the way, I gotta tell you something I told my father's obviously his family's from Letter Mullen and I mentioned, you know, that we were yeah. talking and people were so excited in Letter Mullen <laughs> about you. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and I gotta tell you, that's a little place, but they know the work you're doing and I think it's greatly appreciated. Isn't just
1: water for where you're from there's
0: all over the country I think right. people have Appreciate it. I I represent the entire country.
1: I sometimes uh, give a bit more attention to Waterford, but that's just the way it is where, you know, in Ireland, we're all from a county, uh, (laughs) even a bit more than America. I think we all have a kind of our local, um, you know, allegiances, mainly centered around Gaelic football and hurling, uh, which is what kind of gives us our county identity. But um, hello to all the people in Letter Mullen there. And Ambassador Daniel Mulholland Mulho- is a,
0: is the a author of Ulysses, A Reader's Odyssey. I got to tell you, I think it's worth the read. Uh, and it may, whether you read Ulysses or not, it, it, it breaks things down and makes it fun. And I think that's yeah, my you- book is for
1: people yeah. who are it's, it's for people who have read Ulysses are going to read it or those who will never read it, but want to know a little <laughs> bit about it. And I try to give a flavor of the book, which I think I do in a way that's accessible to the to the average reader.
0: Well, I appreciate all your time, especially, I know how late it is in Edinburgh. Um, enjoy Edinburgh. It's a pretty pretty amazing place. And uh, and spend some time with your family. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ambassador. Thank you very much.
1: Bye-bye. Thank you.